Hello, this is episode four of season three. And in this episode, I'm going to share some of the big ticket items that homeowners overlook and that can derail their projects at the outset. So let's go. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Our Get It Right podcast partner this season is Kiko LED. So Kiko LED is customizable DIY LED strip lighting that you can order online to your specifications for your needs and your project. So perhaps you've been looking for that integrated designed lighting solution and you found it really hard to access as a one-off for your project. It's expensive to get made to order or it requires your electrician to do a bunch of work on site to make it happen. But you can just see that LED strip lighting channel concealed in your joinery or perhaps included in the walls of your stair void or around the edge of your deck to add drama in the evenings. Then I really encourage you to check out Kiko LED and that's Kiko K-I-I-K-O. Now previously this level of customization and design for lighting solutions it was only accessible to those in the trade and Kiko instead brings custom linear LED to you from their headquarters in Brisbane Australia and it's all able to be ordered online via the Kiko website so you pick your design you pick your length you pick your LED light type if you need help with designing your LED strip lighting solution you can always jump on the phone or email one of their team as well and I've been able to organize with Kiko a fantastic UA community only offer so if you head to their website at www.kiko.com.au forward slash undercover architect you'll be able to access a $25 discount to use on your first order and that link will be in the show notes as well so pricing starts at $95 per lineal meter plus shipping so it's great quality really affordable product that can really offer that lighting design edge that you may be looking forward to make your new home or renovation project feel great. And now on with the episode. In this episode, I'll be explaining how to use early information in your renovation project to impact how and what you renovate and to bring clarity to your overall budget and strategic thinking to your decisions and choices. And I'm also going to explain how to investigate the land that you'll be building on if you're building new to see what it can tell you about how to build, what to build and how to save money doing it. You know, this is because some of the early missteps that I see homeowners make are ones that can cause huge budget blowouts down the track or even derail projects. And these are the components that homeowners can often overlook completely. And in doing so, they'll miss the opportunity that it gives them to be strategic in their project and they potentially set themselves up for extra costs or even cancel projects. Now, I recommend that you wrap your head and your budget around these things as early in your project as you can, because doing it early can impact the choices that you make about how you renovate or build your home and how you actually create your design. So what are these early components that get missed by so many? 
Well, if you're renovating, it will be how you deal with what needs to occur to your home as part of its maintenance and upkeep anyway. And if you're building, it's how you deal with what needs to happen to your land to prepare it for a brand new home. So I'll take you through renovating first. So if you're renovating, this is for you. Listen in, okay? Now, what I see happen is this. When many homeowners first speak to their designer about their renovation project, they'll excitedly tell them the things that they want to do. So, for example, you know, we want to create an open plan living kitchen dining area and we want to add on an outdoor deck or alfresco. And we'd also love to create an ensuite master bedroom. And, you know, the list will go on of the things that they want to do to their home. And then they'll also say, well, there's also some things that need to be done to the house. You know, we need to upgrade all the electrical wiring. It's all very old and, you know, it needs to be redone. We need to replace the roof. We need to underpin or restump the footings because they're subsiding in places. And we've got to fix the stormwater that's in the backyard. It's been causing some problems. And, you know, that list of what needs to be done to the existing house may go on as well. And so then they'll move forward in working on their design and they'll make choices as they go and they'll decide on what the layout will be and the materials that they use and the overall feel and look of the project. And then they create a scope of works and that scope of works will include, you know, the work that's proposed for the house that's new in the extension and the renovation. And then it'll also include the rectification work and the repair work that needs to be done to the house as well. And they'll get costing information back on that scope of work. And then what commonly happens is, you know, they fall off their chair because this is what actually goes wrong. The cost will be far bigger than they expected. You know, they look at their floor plans that they've been designing for the last few months and they really don't feel like they're gaining enough extra space to justify that amount of spend. It's just too much expense for not enough return. And so they decide that they're not going to proceed with their project at all. They, they ditch it. They're totally disappointed that they can't afford to renovate and extend their home. But for them to live safely and long-term in the house as it is, they still need to upgrade all of the old electrical wiring. They need to replace the roof because it's rusting through and leaking in parts. They need to underpin or restump the footings because they're subsiding in places. And they need to fix the stormwater line in the backyard because it floods every time it rains. Now, what usually happens is that those base costs, those necessary maintenance costs that we all have when we buy old houses, they get overlooked. And it's not that they completely get forgotten, but they never get separately accounted for, even though they're things that you, you actually have to spend money on. You know, you continue living in the house and you'll fix those things as you go. And sometimes you'll do it with band-aids and sometimes you'll do it with bigger investments, but you'll be spending money on them because there's stuff that needs to happen to keep the house standing. And meanwhile, you're putting off the renovation because the renovation doesn't seem affordable because the cost you got had all of that work sitting in it as well. So what should you do instead? I recommend that you do this. Now, when you're thinking about renovating your home, first make a list of all the things that you know need to be done to help your existing home last. So these are the things that have to be done anyway. You know, whether you renovate or not, they're just part and parcel of having an old home and making sure that it's safe and durable for you and your family to live in. 
Now, you may find that as you're writing this list, you'll actually start prioritising what your must-haves are, what your nice-to-haves are versus your not actually necessary. You know, and this is great because what you're actually doing here is you're building a brief and you're starting to work out already what is important to you just in the rectification work that needs to happen to the house. And what you may find that you're also doing is you're thinking things like, well, if we were to extend here, then we wouldn't need to replace that section of old roof because this whole area would be brand new. And again, this is also really great intel to be collecting as you review and consider your existing home. Now, once you have that list, then I recommend you start collecting information about what the cost to rectify, repair or replace those items that you've listed are. So this can be done in a few ways, but the most effective is to get some tradespeople or builders around to quote it. Now, when getting tradies and builders around, I recommend that you actually don't discuss your renovation plans with them because inevitably what will happen when you do is that your conversation will get derailed with discussions about what's possible for your renovation and it means that you won't find out the information that you're actually trying to find out because what you're seeking to do here is you want to ascertain actual financial costs for the work that you have to do anyway to stay in your home so that the home's not falling down around your ears, it's not leaking, it's not flooding, you know, working out what is that cost for that maintenance work that needs to happen. So you can say to the builders or tradespeople, look, we may or may not renovate, but we're trying to get a handle on the cost of these maintenance things that we know need to be done anyway. Now, when you find these things out, these costs out as a separate budget, it helps you to do two things. The first is that it will actually put a financial number on all the work that needs to be done to your house as it is. And it identifies this as a separate chunk of money so that if and when you decide to proceed with your renovation plans, any budget estimates and any quotes that you receive, they're not polluted with this financial number of this rectification work. You know, you can actually assess what the the true value is of that extra space against the cost of that extra space over and above what the cost is for your maintenance work. You know, it's not then just looking at a total cost of all of that maintenance and all of that fixing that gets bundled into the same kind of budget cost. The second thing that it can do is that it can give you great ideas and strategies for your renovation overall. So I've found that homeowners, they've discovered during this process, you know, key things that really help them with their renovation design. Because you may find that when you actually start to find out how much it costs you to rectify a certain part of your house, that it's more economical to demolish that part and start again. And that's purely because of the rectification work and the labour that can go into repairing something that's already standing far exceeds the efficiencies that you can get out of building new. But you'll never be able to assess that fully unless you separate out the way that you've ascertained those costs. So if you're renovating an old home that you know needs things fixed and maintained in any way, identify those costs as a separate financial budget, you know, a separate bucket of money, and then use that information to shape your strategy about the renovation design you create and the methodology that you use to build it. Now, next, I want to talk about building new. So if you're building a a new home, this is for you. There is similar early work that can be done to help you be more informed for your budget and your project overall. Now, many homeowners make the mistake of not really understanding their site or their or their block of land. They won't understand the qualities of it or the impact that it'll have on who they can actually choose as a builder, the material choices that they make, the structural design requirements for their home, the services and the design layout. 
So what happens when homeowners get this wrong is that they don't assess all of these requirements up front. They go ahead and they create their design and they get costing information and then there's a barrage of additional costs included in their building quote and they may be things like an upgrade to the structural design because of the soil conditions on the site or they may be additional costs because a specific stormwater solution is required because of the way that their land is or perhaps there's extra costs in there for crane hire or for traffic control because access to the site is challenging. Now, there's a few key things that impact how costly a block will be to build on. And some of these things, you can get preemptive costing advice on them in the same way that you can with that renovating scenario. And this can really assist with determining the best building strategy for your home before you even start designing. Now, I've got a bunch of blogs that will help with some of these topics specifically, so be sure to head to the show notes and get the links. But I'm going to summarise here, and some of these will vary depending on whether you're hoping to buy a project home and build, so buy off the plan and build, or whether you're planning on getting a custom design done and then that get built. All right, so let's have a look at what some of these key things to be aware of are. So, of course, orientation will be one. Now, it's tricky to get a preemptive cost on the impact that your orientation will have on your design. It is possible to determine, for example, that if your if your block is north to street, then your design outcome is going to need to do some less conventional things in order to access northern light. So those things may add, you know, extra costs onto your project. So things like high-level glazing or skylights or voids, you know, specific buildings form that's going to get northern light into your home. And it's also quite challenging to find a project home off the plan that will suit a north to street block. Another thing that you can look at is your topography. So that's the slope of your block of land and the levels and the contours. Now, flat blocks will increase your options when you're shopping for a project home builder because most of their homes are designed to go, you know, slab on ground, construction straight on a flat block. And flat blocks will generally lower your building costs and simplify construction and design overall. Now, slab on ground refers to the floor structure actually being a concrete slab poured directly onto the ground into formwork that uh, that defines its shape. So there's a website, RMIT, that defines ground slabs like this. So they say ground slabs are those slabs that are poured directly into excavated trenches in the ground and they rely entirely on the existing ground for support. And, of course, the ground must be strong enough to support the concrete slab. So understanding that flat blocks are generally cheaper to build on and slab on ground is generally a more economical form of construction to begin with is useful when you're looking at the topography of your block of land. You also don't have additional startup costs of you know, significant earthworks in excavation and site preparation in order to accommodate the house. So if your block of land has a slope to it, then you'll need to determine how you're going to be readying it for a new home. So will you build the house as an elevated structure on piers or will you cut and bench the site with a series of flat pads and retaining walls? I've seen homeowners assume that benching or cutting their site to create flat areas will be the best option. And so they've just proceeded with designing, you know, a split level home that will suit that. And yet the cost of excavation and retaining and waterproofing has ended up being so astronomical that they've not been able to proceed with their projects. 
Another one to watch out for is soil conditions. So this can be ascertained with a soil test done by a geotechnical engineer. And sometimes your council can also tell you if the zoning of your land has specific requirements in terms of slippage or acid sulfate soils, for example. Now, it's worth understanding these things up front as they may have an impact on the structural design requirements of your home. I've seen homeowners find out far too late in the process that their soil test triggers a big upgrade to their structural slab design or it triggers the need for extra and expensive footings and they've already designed the home to their budget. They've maxed out you know, their budget in the design of the home and then all of these things have been discovered as engineering design is happening and then they can't afford their build and they have to redesign in order to accommodate these extra structural costs. So another thing to look at is services and how you'll run them on your site. So I'm talking about water and waste and electrical services. So some homeowners will get caught out by their services during their project with big budget stings. And understanding things like this early can really help you shape your budget accordingly. You need to understand, obviously, where water supply, water waste, general waste and electrical can go and what will need to be done in order to make that work happen. I've seen homeowners discover that they actually have shared infrastructure in the backyard that needs to be upgraded as part of their project and it needs to be done at their cost and they've not discovered this until they've been at the DA, you know, their development approval stage. So that's a that's a big hiccup to hit when you've already designed to your budget and made decisions about things and then you discover this about your services. Finally, the last thing I'm going to mention is bushfire management, and that can be a big surprise for some homeowners. There's even suburban areas in some capital cities where, you know, there are bushfire requirements on blocks of land. I particularly found in Sydney where blocks of land or properties will back onto small slivers of parkland. But what happens is those small slivers of parkland then connect to larger areas of national park. And so they're seen as a potential threat for spreading bushfire in that way. So bushfire assessments will actually They'll rate the bushfire attack level or BAL of your block of land and your property. And then this then will dictate what approvals that you need to achieve, the consultants that you need to have on board, the materials that you need to use and your methodology of construction in order to meet the requirements of that BAL rating and for you to improve the home's ability to protect itself. Now, I've seen homeowners create their design only to find out that their land has a higher bushfire rating. And so things like all their materials and their windows and their doors all need to be changed and upgraded. And so the cost is blown out and the project hasn't been able to go ahead as is. So what should you do instead? Well, I really encourage you to get some information about your block of land. So you can do this in a few ways. Council is a great place to start to find out about things like easements, flood zoning, services, any other constraints that your block of land may have to contend with in a new build. And don't just trust the mapping that's on the council website. Sometimes you need to dig a little bit deeper. Now, if others have recently built in the area, have a conversation with them about what they might have learnt and discovered about their land and their soil and their services and how it impacted their build. Consider also getting some advice about earthworks and retaining costs if you are building on a sloping site before you go ahead and decide to build a slab on ground or split level home and confirm whether you do or don't have a bushfire issue to design for. 
Now, there are other things to check, of course, and so often having a professional on board to help you and assist you in these early stages with their expertise can be helpful. You know, what you're ultimately doing here is you're learning about your land and then you're using that information to equip you to design efficiently for it. And this is the big thing to remember about addressing these early steps, whether you're building or you're renovating, because, you know, as I said at the beginning of this episode, this is information that you can gather well before you start designing and planning your project and that you can use to really arm you as you move forward. So don't make the mistake of overlooking these early steps. You know, ultimately what happens when I see homeowners forget to do this is that they're just, they're just not gathering this information and they're not really understanding the needs of their home or their land. And then they're not using these early steps to create a really clever game plan or strategy for their project before they start their design, before they create their design. Being strategic about how you design and what you design, this will always save far more money than tweaking the design once it's actually done or playing with the materials or the finishes or fixtures that go into it. Okay, so that's it for episode four and how to avoid those budget blowouts before you begin. In the next episode, I'm going to help you have that first conversation with your designer or your builder and, you know, particularly when you don't really want to mention your budget, okay? But I want to remind you too to go and check out the Kiko LED as well. So go and have a look at the Kiko LED website and check out all the fixtures there. They're all in anodized aluminium. Now, what's anodized aluminium? Well, to quote the Aluminium Anodizers Council, anodizing is an electrochemical process that converts the metal surface of aluminium into a decorative, durable, corrosion-resistant oxide finish. So what this means in plain English is that the aluminium that gets used in Kiko LED light fittings is super durable, it's easy to clean, and it's got that lovely matte silver look and finish and feel to it. And that I find that that's a really neutral colour choice that coordinates with most finishes in a home. So you are able, though, to get the Kiko LED light fittings powder coated if you're looking for a different color or finish. And I've had one listener tell me that she's looking for an affordable black powder coated LED strip light that she wants to hang over her kitchen island. So the Kiko Max 4 profile would be perfect for this. And if you're wanting a different color, just have a chat to the Kiko LED team about what might be possible for you and your lighting solution. They've got lots of options for you. And because they're local to us in Australia they can really help out and remember to jump on the website and use the link www.kiko.com.au forward slash undercover architect and you can grab your UA only community $25 discount so join me next time for episode five and we're going to nut out how to have that first conversation with your designer or your builder especially when you don't want to mention money until then Thank you for tuning in to the Get It Right podcast with Undercover Architect. Now, if you head to the Undercover Architect website, you'll see loads more helpful information on how to get it right when designing, building or renovating your home simply and with confidence. 
Not only can you see all the podcast episodes there, there's also a wealth of written blogs and of videos too covering all sorts of topics. And there's other ways as well that Undercover Architect can give you more support and guidance for your project. Now, if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please subscribe so that you always get notified of new episodes as soon as they go live. And I'd love it too if you could please leave a review. I <laughs> know that iTunes doesn't make it easy to leave a review, but when you do, this is super helpful in spreading the word that this podcast exists to others who really need to hear it to get help with planning their future homes. This has been Amelia Lee from Undercover Architect. Thank you for listening and for letting me be your secret ally. Looking forward to next time. Bye. Jackrabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, podcast.